Welcome back to another episode of Blue Collar Happy Hour. We have here local entrepreneur, local pilot, local realtor, local businessman, Luke. How's it going today? I'm good, fellas. Thanks for having me in. Luke Heggie here has his own real estate company, correct? Your own brokerage? That's correct. Here in town? You have your pilot's license? Well, I have a student pilot's license currently. Yeah. But you own a plane. I do. I do. Yep. I've done quite a bit of flying in it. I love it. Yeah. I just, I have to pass the written test to be a licensed pilot to take passengers. I know you've gone up and like use it on like weekends to go fishing in Canada and like yeah, that's crazy. So, Just be able to go wherever you want. Yeah, so so as a student pilot, I can fly alone, or I can fly with my instructor, or any other uh, licensed pilot can, can can be with me in the plane. And so yeah, just this past, well, not this past November, but the November prior, um, my younger son Axel and I, and my younger brother Tom, took our took my little plane out to Southern Colorado. We went mule deer hunting. That's so cool. Gosh, that's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, That'd be was, so fun. It was awesome. It was cool because Axel. He loves hunting. He, he's he's also been through the pilot's course to get his license. Oh, really? Yeah. So, oh, that's sweet. Yeah. So he 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 knows how to fly the plane. He's flown my plane. Uh, oh, wow. With the instructor, uh, but he was able to see like we 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 diverted a little bit north on the way out um, to take the scenic route. So we went over the Black Hills, and he got to see Mount Rushmore kind of eye to eye with the pilots. Oh, that is that's so insane. cool. So, <laughs> so that was fun. Yeah, it was. It was a neat, neat thing to be able to share with him. Wow. Sure. How crazy. How old is Axel? Oh, so he's 13 now. So he was tw- 12. Shout out Axel. <laughs> I could not imagine being 13 years old and being able to just go like, hey, dad, can we, you think we go to, you know, Canada? You think we go to Mount Rushmore? You think <laughs> Dude, we could Just go? to have the knowledge of flying a plane at 13. Crazy. That's like, so cool. And he's one of those wow. kids that he's capable. I mean, he, you know, I'm, when he goes through driver's ed, it's, uh, I'm not worried, you know, yeah. it's, it's, and so for him to fly the plane, obviously it was a new form right away, but, yeah. but he's right at, right at home. Oh, you know? That but, is so freaking cool. So Luke, you also owned a flooring company previously. How long did you own the flooring company? Yeah. So, well, when I was, when I was growing up, first off, my dad told us all of us, I have two brothers. So there's three boys in the family. College is not an option. You, you you guys are going to learn a trade, and that's how you're going to support yourself. So we came from a very religious, very strict religious uh, background. We were raised, uh, I call it a cult now. I mean, that that may be up for interpretation, um, um, but if that's not a cult, then, then there are no cults. <laughs> I think you <laughs> might be I the see. first person that I've ever heard their parents so, told them, no college, don't even yeah. think about it. Wasn't, right. In fact, I, I've, I've talked with, um, John Eberhardt recently about this because he was way all pro college when I was going to school here in Pine City and in, in elementary school. And my parents told him one time at a, at a teacher's conference that my, our boys aren't going to college. And John said, and I remember this and I talked to John about this just last summer. I said, John looked at my dad and said, well, then they can pump my gas at John standard. Then when they, when they graduate high school Oh my <laughs> God. at a teacher's conference. And so, well, the funny <laughs> thing is, I saw savage, right? And, and so, so anyway, so we were taught, we had to learn a trade so that we could support ourselves. And, 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 and getting back to the John Eberhardt story this summer, when I was golfing with him, I asked him if he remembers that and he laughed and he did remember that, you know, that's funny. And and what's great is I've done flooring in in multiple houses for John. We, we, we love golfing together. I've sold real estate for John. We've done a lot of business and I've made a lot of money off John. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's for but, that's but, for saying that's but, for being savage to your parents and, and he just i mean he owned it and he's like you know what I, and he's not even encouraging his grandson to go to college now 
So yeah, it, there's like this whole shift, you know, and it's becoming increasingly rarer and rarer that people actually know how to do a real trade job of any sort, like getting dirty with your hands. The, the general conception is just pay for someone else to do it. Right. I don't have right. to worry about it. Right. It's going to be cheaper in the long run. That's everyone's kind of ideology now. And so now we're in this weird place where like we're able to talk about, you know, blue collar stuff with local entrepreneurs because it's becoming more and more rare. Uh, no question about it. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. So how long did you have the flooring company okay, for? Okay, yeah. So so basically, I graduated early from high school, um, 16 years old. I got my diploma. But that was, we, I did homeschool before homeschool was cool. I mean, like, there was no internet even. We did it. Really? Yeah, I mailed it. So I went through, only went through eighth grade. I went to eighth grade in North Branch after living out on the East Coast for a few years. And then just did homeschool from there. In one year, I just, just did all the correspondence and got my diploma so I could be done. I was worried my parents were going to send me back to school. So I wanted to <laughs> yeah. hurry up and get my diploma so that I was done before they changed their mind. So then as soon as I had my driver's license, I went to work helping a guy carry his toolbox in laying carpet. Too. Oh, wow. So so you've been doing it since what? Since I was 16. Damn. 1994 is when I started wow, laying carpet. that's crazy. So when did you decide, like, I want to make the jump. I want to buy my own company. Yeah, that's a good question. So when I was learning as a helper, um, as I started to kind of get the hang of it, if we had a small day or we just needed like to do a bedroom in somebody's house, the guy that was teaching me, he would just say, take the van, take the tools. You can have the 150 bucks for the job, you know, and then he'd take the day off. Mm -hmm. And so once I got comfortable enough to where I thought I can do these all on my own, I just started going to other flooring stores and you know, giving them my number and saying, if you guys have any jobs, let me know. I'll come do them. So eventually I had more side work than, than I didn't need to continue to work with him. And yeah. so I worked as an installer for multiple different stores for like six or seven years, probably I worked up in Duluth for, for quite a while. I built my first house up in Solon Springs, Wisconsin when I was 18. Yeah. Um, and so I worked up there and, and it really came back to Pine City in 2001 and I was, um, doing some work with Harley Johns a little bit, installing for him at Carpet Unlimited. He started that in 1974, and just really good local guy, local family, good people. And he taught me a lot of things. I'd already been doing flooring for like 10 years, but he taught me stuff that I didn't already know, you know. And and he kept, I kept asking him, when are you going to retire because I want to buy your business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he, would, and he, he always had the same answer, I'm never going to retire, and he never did retire. He ended up, he passed away. Oh, wow. And after he died, his widow then called me and asked me to buy the business. Wow, that's crazy. I didn't even, I did not even know that that was the origin behind Carpet Unlimited. Yeah. How long did you own it before you sold it? So, yeah, so before I bought Carpet Unlimited, I started Pro Direct Flooring here in Pine City, too, to where I was selling out of the, the four-way stop there next to Chubby, where Chubby's was in State Farm, and that little corner office, I had a little carpet store in there. And the reason I wanted to put it there was because anybody going to Carpet Unlimited had to go past my office first. So, <laughs> yep. so I was getting some business. That <laughs> the way. marketing tactics. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, funny. So when I bought Carpet Unlimited, I just closed Pro Direct Flooring because he was way more established. And, and so I bought that in 2008. And then I just sold it uh, a year ago right now is when we sold the business. Dang. How long did you have it from start to finish? So uh, I started... Pro Direct Flooring in 2001, and that's when I was selling and installing, and then uh, bought Carpet Unlimited in 2008, and then sold uh, Carpet Unlimited in 2022. So what is that, 14 years? Damn, that's crazy. So obviously flooring is a lucrative business. Like there's plenty of people in the flooring industry. What At what point are you like, maybe this isn't something I want to do forever, and I, I want to sell this, I want to move on to something different? Were you, 
obviously a lot of scenarios you don't see where people are sick of it, but what, what was the reason? Well, yeah, good question. So for me, the, I started installing at 16. So in, installing floors for 25 years is tough on you, right? Yeah. My knees and back get a little sore. Uh, and really in a small community like this, you can only install, well, you can only install so much flooring yourself per day, no matter where you live. But in Pine City, you can only sell and install so much per day, right. per week, per month. And the really, the best way to make your living here doing that type of business is installing what you sell yourself because yep. then you can make sure it's done right. And it, it, once I realized I don't want to install every day, it's time to kind of look for something else. Yep. But besides that, selling real estate has always been something I've done too. Um, before I got my real estate license as a salesperson, I bought and sold my own properties, lots of them, did developments, built homes and sold those. And it's kind of funny. I, I actually think over my entire flooring career, I probably made more money selling real estate than I did doing flooring. That's crazy. So my side job was was a better income earner than, than yeah. the flooring store was. I think that's the goal. Yeah. Like if you can have a side gig that just takes over your main gig, you're winning in life. Something's going right for you. 100%. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so when I went through my classes to get my real estate salesperson's license, to me it was the most boring class because I thought, doesn't everybody know this? You right. Because I had bought and sold <laughs> yeah. over 20 properties of, of my own prior to the class. Yeah. So you already know how the inspections work, how the fees work. You already got it down. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And so so it was a pretty natural transition. But the, the thing I thought, I thought if I get my license, I'll be able to find all kinds of deals and I'll be able to flip more houses and split more land and do more deals. But it kind of worked in the, the opposite. First off, when you when you have a real estate license and somebody contacts you, you're a fiduciary for them. So you have to do what's best for them. Mm. So like if you called me and said, I'm thinking about selling my house as a, a, a you called me because I'm a real estate agent, I can't show up and say, you know what? I'll give you 140 grand today. I can't do that. Right. I have to say, all right, I think I can get you this much. And the more I can get you, the, the, the better it is for you and me versus, you know, try to get it from you for cheap. Right. Right. So, oh, that's crazy. I didn't even think of that because there's, I'm sure there's a reason why all these rules are in place because you think of how many people just took advantage of oh, hundreds of thousands of people just because they can. Absolutely. You know, yeah. a lot of people just don't understand the rules of real estate either. Absolutely. So, or, or necessarily market values, you know, when prices were skyrocketing last year, two years ago, I'm sure think of how many people just bought all these pro uh, properties from older folks that just don't know what the market's doing. That's right. And then just flipped it instantaneously for triple what they just bought it for. In, in, in every market, in, it's an up market, a stable market, and a down market, there's money to be made. And there's a lot of people trying to make money on everyday homeowners. But the average person only buys and sells a home every seven years. That's the average. Okay. And I think in this area where it's a little more rural, uh, it's less. Yeah. People tend to stay a long time. Well, you mean you get a lot of homesteading where it's like a whole farm and now it's like a generational thing. And then there's pride attached to this land. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so what's, you know, what I find is really important. Real estate agent is really, is no different than like a sports agent for a professional athlete. Mm -hmm. The reason that athlete hired that agent is because that agent at the end of the day is going to put more money in that athlete's pocket than if that agent wasn't there. And that's, that's really, that's my job. Now, now I'm not a salesperson, just I'm a broker. And so I have salespeople that work with me now and they are out and I can also sell your house and list your house. But now my main job is to help teach the agents that work with me how to be better at, at helping our clients. Yeah. And no, so, that's sweet. so that's the thing is a lot of times, you know, somebody will call and say, I want to list my house. What's your commission? Well, 
and, and my answer is always the same. The commission really is not the most important part. The most important part is you find an agent that's going to get you more for your home right. than any other agent. Right. And if I'm more expensive than my competition, but at the end of the day, I put more in your, in your pocket at the closing, isn't that what matters? Oh, absolutely. 100%. 100%. Because you see a lot of this too. So my wife, obviously, you know, yeah. was doing real estate for yeah. a while. She yeah. doesn't anymore. She just wanted nursing full time now. Good for her. Yeah. But when she was doing real estate, you see a lot of these agents that are like super low commission, yep. but then they don't do anything with it. Like right. they don't get any, they don't get nice photos. You get like iPhone photos of the whole place. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, this place looks like, this look, looks like shit in the photos, but it, it's awesome when you go there. Right. You know? So right. you, you pay low fees, you get low quality. Well, let's face it. Marketing you, most of the time. Do you want somebody negotiating your biggest financial investment of your whole life that can't, that can't even <laughs> right. negotiate a fair price for themselves to work for you? Right. It's a damn good point. <laughs> I mean, so I, you, know, I mean, you are a salesman. Well, I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just either, yeah, well, you, either you know how to sell something and help people with what they yeah. want or, or you're just trying to make an easy buck. Exactly. Exactly. So now in that, in that same kind of regard too, like how do you, you have employees now that work for you doing the real estate side and obviously you had employees doing the flooring. What is like a key detail for keeping employees long-term in a job like Let's let's go with the flooring specifically because I guess that's more blue collar geared. Okay, yeah. In the flooring industry, what is to stop someone from just doing exactly what you did, doing a whole bunch of side work, and then until they kiss, can do it on their own? Well, that's a great point, and and I always worked um, as a subcontractor, and and in my employees were always subcontractors, mm. um, and so for multiple reasons. For one, they're they're liable for for themselves and their own insurance and those type of things. Yep. But also we get busy and we get slow in the industry. And so if I'm slow at my at Carpet Unlimited in Pine City and my installers need to stay busy, they can go to Mora or they can go to Rush City or, or Forest Lake or wherever else and they can also subcontract jobs for those people. Nice. Okay. So so that's just the way that industry works. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense because then you don't have people relying on you for hours. Cuz with with the business I I work with that's a big deal. If we don't have a job, nobody's working, nobody's making money, and you kind of feel bad. Yeah, for sure. So when someone can just go off, find someone else to subcontract a job, that, that makes a big difference for everybody. It does. It does. And so that also at the same time presents its own challenges because sometimes one of my installers, if I've got a really good installer, might start getting more jobs from one of my competitors, and now I can't get them when I need them because they're already busy. Or what I've seen happen more lately in the last 7 to 10 years they just simply sell their own materials directly to people. Yeah. With with social media and, you know, word gets around everybody. It's just faster than it does. And you don't have to have a showroom necessarily anymore all the time. You can bring samples to your home and and, and those people, good for them, right? I mean, they, they can sell it. They can install it. So so that was a challenge is, you know, and, and if you're teaching somebody like I was when I was 16 to go from from basically no skill to a, to a full-blown installer, they're going to leave. Because I mean, that's all they know. And, and they know, like, hey, I can do everything of this, and I'm going to make more money. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I did. That's what the person that taught me did. That's just how it works. And the same, yeah. I think the same is in, in every trade, right? The framers and plumbers and all of them guys, they, you know, their helpers learn it, and now they're their competition. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> that makes. I think that's just pretty much in every industry, really. That's like I, I once you so. learn the skill, you just have that quality. Yep. And yep. if the other aspects of it are worth dealing with, then make the jump. Here's the thing that deters a lot of people, though, is like they don't understand you got to take all the phone calls. You got to make the website. You got to update the website. You got to follow up with all these people. You got to 
if there's something wrong with some, you got to pay to fix that. That's exactly a lot, right. A lot of people don't understand these things. And if there's a problem and you can't, you don't know how to fix it, where are you going to turn? Exactly. You just got to go yeah. into the into the pocketbook yeah. or your own time to go fix it. That's right. Either or sometimes both. Yeah. So yeah. that's where this huge struggle comes. What do you think is another like gripe in the flooring industry that you like? Hey, this this aspect of it just sucks. Man, I can tell you installation is everything when it comes to flooring, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, if it's not done right, you could have the nicest material in the whole world, but when it starts to crack or wrinkle or fall apart, it looks, it looks terrible. Yeah. Right. Oh, for sure. And and so in this, in this part of the world where we live, the extremes in the climate between a super dry, cold winter to the humid, hot summer, it's hard to find stable floor covering that can handle all of that. You know, carpet gets, it gets loose and soft, in the, in the summertime when it's hot and then it shrinks in the wintertime and it get you know, and then it, you end up getting wrinkles in it. Mm-hmm. And, and people think, well, it wasn't installed properly. It, it may have been installed properly, but the conditions, you know, if you install it when it's 20 below outside, you pull it out of the trailer and you bring it in, you roll it out and you leave the same day. That, that material didn't have time to really warm up and get soft before it was, before it was finished installed. So, so that, that was a challenge in flooring. Um, and the other challenge too was, People see commercials on TV for free installation. Yes. <laughs> you know, and they would come in and how much you charge for installation? A dollar a square foot, dollar twenty five a square foot. Oh, well, it's free at Home Depot. It's unbelievable how that marketing works on people. It's insane. You're going to pay 10 times more in the end, but you get free installation. And that's what you care about. <laughs> they heard the word free and they believe <laughs> it's it. the it's, headlines. It's the free shipping phenomenon too, that's you know, where it's like, I'll spend a hundred dollars just to get free shipping <laughs> instead of paying the 25 bucks plus $3 shipping. Right? You know? Yeah. It, it's crazy. And the same thing happens in the real estate business too. You see commercials on TV, 1% listing, you know, or these different brokerages that, that, that offer these services. We'll sell your house in two weeks, you know, less, $500 listing fee, that's it. Why pay 10000 to a traditional real estate agent? It's insane. And, and, and people fall for that stuff, you know. God. But, but you know, what, what they're missing out on is they get some agent that's from, from out of town that doesn't know our community, that doesn't know that, you know what, they probably could have split three pieces off of that house and sold mm-hmm. those first and still sold the house for, the whole, for what you sold the whole thing for. And so those are the kinds of things that, you know, there, there's a lot of different options when it comes to selling a piece of real estate. In fact, a lot of times you can change it and, and increase the profit for, for the for the owner. Yeah. You know, split something off. or Absolutely. Add add one single bedroom, you know, there's, put one wall and one closet up. Boom. You just got another 10 grand right there. For sure. You, or whatever. You know, it's crazy when it comes to real estate and it's all about just perception. Yeah. Who wants to buy it and what are they willing to pay? Your demographic alone changes what you can price it at. I'm insane. Yeah, for I can't sure. even imagine how many facets you got to run through in your in your mental checklist when you're pricing <laughs> shit out. Yeah, that that's yeah. just crazy to me. In the in real estate or flooring, is there any other like professions or trades that that like the flooring guys kind of got beef with? Oh, uh, it's my favorite question. You know, where it's like, oh, these electricians, they suck. Oh, They're leaving you, garbage all over my floor. So you've heard that already. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of like the running joke on, on the podcast is like the electricians are messy. That's oh kind of like God. what everyone says. I've got some really good friends that are electricians. You do too. I'm we sure. do too, yeah. yeah. But my goodness, couldn't they just bring a bucket along with them <laughs> to put their wrappers in for Pete's sake, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Well, I wouldn't know. I've never worked, I guess, a place where I'm in a... In a capacity, I got to worry about electricians leaving if, if garbage I'm, all over. If, but if I was going to install carpet in a new house, 
for a fact. I know when I get there, underneath every single receptacle is the wrapper from the outlet cover and all the <laughs> clippings from the wires when they had to put it right there. And then under the next one, there's that one, there's that one. I mean, all they need is a little bucket to just put it in as they make a mess, right? So the first thing we've got to do is sweep up after the electricians. Hey, you electricians, time. you heard it here first. Bring a goddamn bucket with you. That seems pretty simple to me, but what do I know? I'm just a flooring guy. That yeah. That's so interesting to hear that the flooring guys got beef with electricians. The HVAC guys have beef with electricians. How, how many people are against them? Think- <laughs> it sounds like every trade that's involved with building a house in some way to some capacity has beef with electricians. We got to get I, electricians and engineers got to be the two most hated people yeah, in the blue collar I, I industry, would say so. I think. And they love sticking up for themselves. If we, we trash electricians a little bit, I, I see it in the comments. <laughs> I see it in the messages. <laughs> I love putting the memes up on the page of the electricians being dirty. Those are always the funniest oh, because man. the comments are it, hilarious. It cracks me up when I see that. Because it reminds me, it just takes me. Well, because we, first of all, we got to clean up their mess and then we do our job. And when you lay, when you lay, lay carpet in a new house, there's scraps everywhere. When everywhere. Done. Right. So what do we do? We always pick them all up. And we, when we're done, it's clean. It's done. We don't leave our scraps behind. How can right. they get to? <laughs> <laughs> or painters. Painters kind of do that too. Even oh. in, we just had a place built last year and it's, there's still tape on the, on the ceiling. Really? Like from being painted. I was like, man, that really sucks. Because like when they went to go do the the ceiling is a different color than the walls, and the ceiling is where it's at, and the you could tell they just whoop, right over the top of that tape. You know they saw that blue tape just uh, right there. You know, geez. just right over the top of it. Whatever. Yeah, it is well, what it is. In painters, that's another thing too. Is you know they'll come in and paint white woodwork and white doors. Everything looks just perfect. And now I'm bringing in a. 400 pound roll of sandpaper and i've got to get it really nice and tight up against that freshly painted white paint and not scratch it yep especially when it's stiff as this concrete coming in from outside yep that, was, that used to be a problem that i don't miss anymore <laughs> <laughs> breaking the stuff wrecking it scratching it yeah so going from the owner of carpet unlimited and then selling the company and then being a real estate broker, do you find your life now being less stressful? Is it a little easier lifestyle? I think that, I think in some ways there's a lot less stress. Um, mainly because, well, I'm 44 years old now. I've been working a long time and not that I know everything and that I've seen everything, but I've seen some stuff, you know, and I've been through some <laughs> yeah. stuff. So, so it's, it's rare that I run into something where I just scratch my head totally. Uh, you know, especially because it's real estate that I'm doing every day now. That's my everyday yep. thing. Development. Um, I'm, d- I'm doing a development on the east side of the lake over there, um, and dealing with with people that want to sell homes. That's mainly my my everyday thing, and, and I'm pretty comfortable because I can tell them honestly, no one's been in more homes in Pine County than me. Between installing floors in yep. them, and between selling. installing floors, real estate, and burglary. No one has ever been in more more houses. There we here. go. There we go. I should add that one, huh? Yeah. Give that a whirl. My uh my my neighbor uh actually just got his truck stolen and no it was way. in like a high speed chase and really? burned up on the freeway. Oh sure, it was stolen first. Yeah, it was stolen. Yeah. You sure it wasn't him driving? No, it was them oh. stolen. Yeah. They were running from the scene, got it wow. on camera, it was on the news. Yeah. Wow. Pretty crazy stuff. It happens. So it happens even here. Was it one of your buddies or no? Or no? I'm not sure. <laughs> I have to, I have to, who haven't I heard from? It's in a, a while. part of something. <laughs> How long they've been locked up? 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, but, how... but so, so you was asking about stress. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So earlier today, I had an appointment. Um, super nice lady. She's in a stressful situation. Going to sell the house, wants to sell the house. And so, you know, I, I have a good friend that's a retired builder that I go fishing with up in Canada. And I've talked with him many times, you know, what do you, what direction do I encourage my kids to go? Cause I was told no college. Right. And, and, and it worked out learning a trade, but I don't, maybe, maybe they should go to college. Maybe they shouldn't go to college. But what he did was he was a psychology major in college. And so, but he didn't go to be a psychiatrist or, or a doctor or a shrink or anything like that. It was just what his parents told him to do. And he used that psychology to turn it into an amazing carpentry career where he had, uh, employees and, and and people working for him, not only clients on the, on the retail or sales end of it, but also motivating the guys to get their work done. Learning how to work with people right. is what made him successful as a carpenter, and and that's probably the one thing I'm going to encourage my kids to to learn, to, to, even if it's just a little bit of psychology. If you know how people think, it doesn't matter what your job is; it's going to be easier. Yeah. Right? hundred percent. Absolutely. Because I feel like there's business owners that they might be the hardest working person. They might be the smartest person. But if you can't deal with people or know how to deal with your employees or the customers, then how far can you really go? Uh, 100%. And that's where I was going with, with the stressful part about real estate. Everybody has a situation. Everyone. And, and the majority of people that are selling, well, there's always a reason why they're selling their house. Yeah. Why are they selling it? And that's the first thing I want to know. I want to get to know this person a little bit because I can help them better if I know their situation. So psychology is the first thing that comes into play. First off, I've got to get I've got to get to know them a little bit. They've got to get to know me a little bit. They've got to understand that I'm not here to take 6% of their sale of their house. I'm here to help them get more money than they would without me. Because I'm here, they're going to walk away with more money. And so... So it can be very stressful because people get themselves in tough spots. Oh, I believe that, especially financially, where it's like way upside down in the house. Yes. Man, you owe a lot more than this thing is worth. And it's like, all right, we got to get rid of this quick because my child needs this or they're going there or I'm getting divorced or I got divorced or whatever. And and you got to hear out the story. You have to care. And I do care. I mean, I, I like people. That's that is I don't have to put that on. I just do. And so, so it's, it's easy to carry that stress, you know, yep. like, man, I got to get this place sold for that person. Right. I mean, this is important. And then you get it sold. And then prior to closing, something happens. The buyer, I had, I had one, a buyer got in a car accident the day before closing and they oh couldn't buy it. They had to put it back up for sale. My poor sellers were all moved out, you know, oh ready to God. close. And it's like, bam, can't close back to square one, find a new buyer. It just, so, so it, it can be very stressful. It can so being in the flooring industry for so long, what are some crazy things you've seen going into like a homeowner's house? Oh, man. I'm I, sure with flooring, it's got to be oh. nuts because you have all sorts of excuses like, hey, my sump pump flooded and there's literally poop everywhere. Come, okay. and, come and do the floor. All right. The first one that pops in my head, um, I was working out northeast to here about 25 miles. And and I was going to put a new bathroom. This I, I didn't sell the job. I was actually installing for another store. I was just the installer. So I picked up the roll of sheet vinyl to, to put in the bathroom. All I have is an address and the size of the bathroom. So I get there, knock on the door. <laughs> They're playing video games on the couch, right? And they said, bathroom's down the hall. They didn't even get up, you know. All right, so I make my way down there. I open the door, and I look in the bathroom. I can't even see the toilet. <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you mean? I, 
I looked down the hall and I said, what's going on in this bathroom? And they said, well, the toilet's broke. It's been broke for a long time. They just kept using it. No way. So there's just like the whole bathroom's It was like a mound of toilet paper and piss and shit where the toilet used to be covered like three quarters of the way to the ceiling. What? fucking shit. And I'm supposed to put a new floor in there. Oh, my God. So how did you handle that? What is like, what's the conversation? Like, you're like, ah, that's the hard pass. I went right back to my truck and I drove back to the store where I picked up the roll of vinyl and I gave it back to him and said, I'm not doing that job. God, no. (laughs) There's damn reason they found someone else to do that for him. Yeah, I mean, I'm supposed to remove the toilet, put the new floor down, put the toilet back now. Oh, my God, dude, that's horrible. And those wax rings get so nasty on a a well-kept toilet, let alone some that they're just living in squalor with. Oh, Mm -hmm. my God, that's disgusting. Yeah. And I'm sure, especially flooring, like I said, everything ends up on the floor. Everything ends up on the floor. So even pulling up old stuff, getting, you know, liquid that wasn't cleaned up, mold. Oh, that reminds me of another one up in Duluth, late 90s. Somebody was murdered in a motel room up there, and I, and I and I seen it on the news. And then three, four days, maybe a week later, I load up my material for the job I was working for. I go to, go to the, the motel, the same room where this person was murdered. Oh, my God. So I go in there, and there's like a square cut out of the middle where the body was and, and fresh plywood because the blood obviously soaked through the carpet and the pad yep, and into the yep. plywood. So that was all. So I had to tear the rest of the carpet out and... And replace the yeah, put new carpet in that room. My so that God. that was an interesting one. That had to feel a little creepy. It was a little creepy, and it was a woman that murdered a man there. I don't know. That just made it. She was a big tough woman. I seen her on the news. It was. A, it made it extra creepy. Oh man, <laughs> that it was like a weird scenario. Um, that's another thing too. I've heard that these um, restoration companies, massive, massive, massive side work for these guys is rebuilding crime scenes and anything that has any sort of hazardous waste what they would consider any bodily fluid from any death bodily spill of any kind yeah Yeah, anything that that touches has to be replaced um i knew a guy in grand forks where i went to college that did that for side work and he had to do an apartment for an apartment complex where someone had been murdered and there was blood splatter everywhere he was saying and he's got to replace everything yeah you can't just paint over you have to cut the sheetrock out yeah you got to get rid of it entirely no matter what no matter what bodily fluid it is and so he was like this it's an absolute heyday it sucks because it's kind of gross but you walk in you're like this one sheet of plywood has a speck on this side and this side if there's so much per square footage you gotta replace the whole thing otherwise i just cut a hole in it patch it call it a day but like it doesn't cost the same as a normal patch because it's hazard pay, mm-hmm. and so it's like he's like easy money. It sucks, but it's really easy money, yep. really good money. Yeah, or, it sounds like it's a little give and take there. Yeah, because like yeah. you could probably stumble on some pretty gross job sites. Oh, I would man. imagine. I had some really good friends that did that for a living with biotech. You probably know Mark Kropodelsky from Fusago or for Forest Lake. I don't know. You the don't name know. doesn't sound familiar to me. Okay, but okay. if we got any blood spills or anything, we might have to get his contact. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. He, he's the guy. Biotech is the name of his company, and, and it, he had a few employees that were really good friends of mine. And man, they had some stories. <laughs> I couldn't even imagine. Oh, they had one everyone word. you stumble into. Is a, new, is a story, you know, it's like, oh my God. And sometimes they don't find, you know, they don't find the deceased for months and, you know, in the summertime oh. and it's just, they just drip through the, through the floors, you oh know. Oh my and, God. And then you're replacing whole floor to ceiling oh man, remodels. Ooh, and oh. yeah, that'd be, that would not be. A so now at, as a real estate agent, do you have to disclose if someone died in that house? Oh, great or not? question. I've always wanted to know this. And there's a legal answer there. So 
uh, a murder needs to be disclosed. Okay. A natural death or a suicide does not. Oh, my. Suicide. I mean, how, how does suicide not have to be disclosed? I mean. It's, they're protected. Yeah. The, the, the deceased is protected. The family's protected. It is not, wow. It does not need to be. But cured. if it's a murder, then you know. Yep. Yep. And it's easy to remember for me as a broker because if it's a murder, you probably heard about it. Yeah. Right. Whereas if, if you know, if like, like, like my mother passed away and my dad's in, in her living room. Yep. It's not on the news. Doesn't need to be disclosed. Yeah. Yeah. Someone, someone, I definitely don't think that needs to be disclosed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people, someone's died in almost every house. Have you had your hands on, I guess that's a weird way to word it, but have you been trying to sell a house where someone was murdered in before? Is that... Um, I've never sold one where there was a murder. I've sold many where there's been deaths in the house. Yeah. I actually, oh, another one that on every sale, there's a question in the disclosures. Are there any human remains on the property? Oh yeah. I suppose old, old grave sites. I sold one up in Willow river where, you know, we're going through it. It's just a routine. You know, I expect everybody to check no. And they said, yep. I said, wait, wait, wait. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck do you mean? Did you read that question properly? Let me read that to you. (laughs) Are there human remains on the property? Yes. Okay. Where? <laughs> now we need to. You know, I think we need a little explaining. We're going to draw one. a map. You know where you we know, have so. we have a lot of friends that are in uh, equipment operation of some <laughs> yeah. sort, and it seems like everyone eventually stumbles on human bones or bones that they believe to be human that end up eventually getting tested to be like animal bones or dog or whatever. Well, you know, a lot of people lived here before we have, right? <laughs> I mean, exactly. they're somewhere. The bones are somewhere. Thousands and thousands and thousands of years, and you know. Yeah, there was there's there's other animals walking around here before us too. No question. Some of these big bones are still out there. <laughs> no question. <laughs> Even if it's not a person, it's something. Right. Well, I was just I was looking at this news clip or some something. I was reading this about people in Egypt that live in a place where there's a lot of artifacts where the ancient Egyptians Egyptians were, and they will dig under their house, find artifacts, and make millions of dollars. Nice. From something that was there thousands upon thousands of years ago. Like, I can't imagine if I could go in my backyard and who knows, I'd dig something up worth a billion dollars. Well, I mean, here's here's the thing, too. There's a ton of Native American artifacts around a lot of the lakes around here. I mean, a lot of our lakes here are pretty developed for the most part now. But I remember as a kid, like my grandpa talking about at their place, they found some stuff on their little beach, their little shoreline there. And I mean, just random stuff, you know, that's fur post that is all over here still, you know. Yeah. All by the fur post in the river here. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So we even we have some of that here too. My dad built a house down in Rock Creek in 1993, and dug a full basement with a walkout basement. And, and you know, if you've got a walkout basement, the footings are down six feet below the basement concrete level, so you're digging way down. And I'll never forget it. I was standing next to the excavator when they scooped down. They were six feet deep, and he dumped dumped a pile of dirt, and and the dirt swept away, and an absolute perfect arrowhead laid right on top of that pile of dirt. And that thing was. Eight feet below oh, the ground. That's badass. That's sweet. Unbelievable. You know, right next to Rock Creek. So I don't know if they were maybe hunting along the creek and over all the years of dirt pile that built over over top of it. But that was pretty neat. When like, I was a kid, crazy. like first finding out what the fur post was in general and then finding out that there were Native Americans here for, for thousands of years, I figured I could just find an arrowhead like nothing. <laughs> yeah, just go looking. <laughs> I remember just walking around being like, I'm going to find one one day. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing, you too. Might. You know, everything just constantly gets pushed down, and then it's like, you know, as a kid, you're like looking, sifting through rocks in a parking lot, being like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stumble across something. I'm stumble across something right now. Keep looking, man. Don't give up. You ever, you ever get into a situation where 
you're trying to sell a property and then all of a sudden it's like, I didn't realize that there was this, not necessarily an artifact, but maybe like some sort of furniture or some facet that they're trying to sell that ends up being worth a lot more? That's a great question. What I have found out many times was there are ways that they can make more money selling their property than what they had thought of. Uh, more on the, on the lines of the property itself, not yeah. necessarily anything in the home, because that's all considered personal property. Mm-hmm. So, so I haven't had any, I haven't come across anything that, that in a personal item or a piece of furniture, you know, that has any good story behind it. But, but, but like just last summer, I had a guy call me and said, I want to sell my cabin on eighty acres up in up in Markville, and so I looked it up on the computer right away, and he's got all kinds of road frontage, and I said, well, why don't we sell a couple of tens off of it? And then I think you'll sell the cabin on sixty for the same you would have sold it on the eighty four. Right. And and just like that, we, we got sixty thousand for this ten acre piece, sixty thousand for that ten acre piece, and then we got three hundred for the cabin on sixty. And he would have been happy to get three hundred for the whole thing. So so by changing it, I've helped people get a lot more money out of stuff than, than they thought of otherwise. Yeah, that makes total sense. That makes total sense. Hey, rearrange some stuff here, maybe split this off, call it a day. Right. Or sometimes we'll tear uh, you know, we'll tear something down, get rid of it. Because it's an eyesore, and then it makes the rest of it look nice. <laughs> I bet that's huge. I mean, a huge barn that's gutted out, already falling apart. Right. Get rid of this. Get thing. rid of it, or a fallen down trailer house, you know, or something like that. Clean right. it up, and you know, an old run down trailer house sitting with some woods all around it looks terrible. But tear that out, spend three, four grand getting rid of it, and clean the site. Now you got a nice clean site with some beautiful woods, and now oh, it's pretty. People, yeah. People want that. That's crazy. So I mean, we always talk about with any industry that we dive into. We always talk about like kind of what to expect in the industry as far as like pay, as far as compensation goes in, um, let's just say the flooring industry. Yeah. Someone wants to get into that one. How do they get into it? And two, what can they expect to be making their first, you know, year doing it? Great question. So the best way to get into it is just become a helper for somebody, carry their toolbox and pay attention and and you'll pick it up pretty quick. But it takes a year to be good at what you're doing. But, But once you know how to install flooring, you can go and you can install for any store. You can subcontract. The insurance is cheap. It's like a thousand bucks a year for liability insurance, and and you can make if you can't make six or seven hundred dollars a day as a self-employed carpet layer or flooring installer, you're not trying. Really? So there's some serious money to be made here. Really good money. Yeah, really good money. When I started, when I was eighteen, when I went on my own in 1996. My my go, my average was three hundred bucks a day. That was kind of if I made less than three hundred bucks for the day, I felt like I didn't have a very good day. There's a lot of days where I doubled that, you know. Yeah. And so as an eighteen year old kid in nineteen ninety six, that's probably the wages I'm sure are doubled from then right. to now. So and I think that's six hundred dollars a day is a pretty easy day for a flooring installer right now. Wow, that's crazy. That's insane. So when you when you started your first business, obviously you can't just wake up one day and say, I'm a business owner. Did you have a mentor that taught you the ins and outs of business? Did you teach yourself? How did you learn how to pay your taxes? I learned that the hard way, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> that was something I didn't understand. When I was 18, I at first had my own business in stall and flooring. Um, at the end of the year, you know, I would take the receipts, paper receipts from my gas and, and buying tax strip and, and knife blades and stuff. And, you know, these all add up to X amount. And and then here's how much I made. My my tax guy says, "Okay, you owe fourteen thousand dollars." I'm like, fourteen thousand dollars from one year's worth. <laughs> You're like, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> 
And so that was kind of an eye opener. I didn't, I didn't save for tax for income taxes. So I learned the hard way. I, yeah. I didn't know anything about business. I knew how to install flooring and how to collect check and deposit it and spend it. So it was basically just over time on the fly. You're just picking up see new, new tricks, learning, learning the way see for me, I'm more of a, I have to suffer to learn my lesson. <laughs> just like, just like you were saying with the taxes, like if I, I need to screw up, I, it, no matter how many times somebody tells me something, it will not get through my head until I make the screw up myself. My brother always says, you don't learn until it hurts. That, <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's, that's exactly how I feel. Right. Well, I think this is a good point to wrap this thing up, Luke. Thanks for coming on. Where can everyone find you? What, what, is your, uh, what is your real estate brokerage, your real estate company? Where can they go to support you? So Local Realty is the name of, of my real estate company. Uh, my wife and I uh, chose that name because we really think – um, every seller, every buyer can benefit from working with a local agent. And so if you're going to buy or sell a house in Pine City, work with somebody that's from here, that lives here, that knows this market. So Local Realty MN is our website. If you just so- search Local Realty Pine City, you'll find it. Uh, we also have a brokerage over in Wisconsin too. And, and, and because I firmly believe in the brand, the, the agent that runs it, the broker that runs it, Van Murray, he lives right in Grantsburg. He's, fr- he's from there. He knows the area. He does a great job. So um, Local Realty is the name of our company. Sweet. And, and we've got several good agents helping us that are locals. Hell yeah. If you want to buy or sell your house in the Minnesota, Wisconsin area, hit up Luke. You got it. We'd be happy to help you guys. Thanks for having me in, buddy. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming. You guys are always a good time. <laughs> Cheers.